0: Welcome to Build and Learn, my name is Colin. And I'm CJ, and today we're talking about reviewing pull requests. If you recall, a couple episodes ago, we talked about authoring PRs, but today we're talking about the other side of the puzzle, which is reviewing them. But before we get into that, we wanted to just talk about some upcoming conferences. And I'm, I'm really jealous because there is this really epic conference that's coming up that I really wanted to go to. And Colin is, <laughs> Colin is headed there. That is Rails SAS. So yeah, like, What is Rails SaaS and when is it happening?
1: Yeah, so let me just pull it up here. So it's October 6th and seven. I think this is going to be a little interesting to see when this episode comes out. Rails SaaS may have already happened when this episode comes out, but we've got a lot of really cool speakers that are talking about the intersection of Rails and business. So you've got some folks who are building SaaS businesses on top of Rails, like literally, like things like GoRails, Hatchbox, Hammerstone.dev, where they're building and releasing gems and things as as a you know as a business. And then I imagine that there's going to be a little bit of you know kind of like the stuff that you see with like a SaaS or conference. There's a lot of just you know the business side of Rails, which I'm excited to see. Cool,
0: yeah. So SaaS, if you're not familiar, is software as a service. This is typically like a subscription based thing. We all know these and. In- love them if you own one and like loathe them if you have a bunch of subscription payments that are hitting your wallet every month. But yeah, so I, yeah, SaaS in general is something obviously that I'm like pretty excited about. And yeah, I've been working on some content for Stripe, teaching people how to collect recurring payments and how to like build a SaaS basically with Rails. And that's why I'm like super bummed. that I'm going to get, I'm going to miss this, but we'll be on a family vacation that we planned a super long time ago, even before the conference was announced. So yeah, but I'll be missing all all my my homies that are going to be in... It's in. Is it in Hollywood or it's just in LA somewhere?
1: It's in Hollywood and it's, it's organized by Andrew Culver from Bullet Train. So they have like a, they kind of bill it as the Ruby on Rails SaaS template. Mm-hmm. Um, so they give you kind of an out of the box framework for building SaaS companies on top of Rails. So very cool to see like a thematic conference like this instead of mm-hmm. just focused on, you know, the language and the tooling and the processes it's going to be talking about like, how do you use this to be super productive in building a business right cuz building and building something that people want and are willing to pull out their credit card and you know i guess stripe would be very relevant here because of how many subscriptions and and things are built on top of stripe and rails today
0: yeah and i think yeah in andrew's bullet train part of the i think it's like the pro version or something you can install like a, a few stripe tools that will set up routes for you and a few other a few other things i haven't actually bought the paid version of Bullet Train to test it out. But it's my understanding that you get a lot of features out of the box with that sort of like plug into the Bullet Train starter. So
1: cool. And what other conferences are coming up that you are able to make? Yeah.
0: So I, I submitted to speak at RubyConf this year, I put in two talks. I have not heard back yet. We'll see. But definitely by the time this episode airs, you I will know whether or not those were accepted. But yeah, RubyConf is in end of November. It's in Houston, Texas. Excited about that. Excited to see all my Ruby friends. Are you going to RubyConf this year?
1: I was not planning on it. I have not really looked at November yet. But, Got it. Uh, okay.
0: Yeah. And then another one that's happening in November is Chirp, which is the Twitter developer conference. I think this is the first time they're having it in many, many years. So this is going to be in San Francisco. It's a one day conference. So yeah, that should be. That one I will. Yeah.
1: That one I'm definitely going to make it down for. They claimed it was the first Chirp in 10 years, but I did see that there was like a conference in 2015 that they held. This one, I'm really excited to kind of see how and what they've learned from because Twitter has a, history of kind of letting down developers in the past. And so I think they've realized like, they've got to repair their relationship with developers and we'll see how that goes with with Chirp. And I'm hoping for a lot of new API features because we are using the Twitter API more and more at Orbit. And there's some stuff that's like very lacking in the API that are obvious things. So I'm excited to see that they're reinvesting in, in that relationship and the API.
0: Yeah, so they shipped an API v2 recently. And as part of that, they have like a whole new OAuth 2 flow. So, yeah, I've been playing around with the new APIs quite a bit. And yeah, there's a few things that I would love to see, like way better webhook support or webhook support mm. at all. There's like no way to get the email address of the person. There's like, yeah, a bunch of like little oh, yeah. things where I'm like, oh gosh. This like, is a whole episode oh, that we should, we should, I know. Yeah, do we uh, could dig. A we could Twitter, Twitter dig
1: API audit. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I've I've been using it a lot lately too, just for like fun little side project things. And yeah, I think they've definitely turned a corner in terms of listening to the developer audience and building, starting to build towards like what the what the audience needs. So yeah, excited yeah. to go. Check I think it that out would be that
1: would be a fun episode to do. It a little audit of of various APIs, especially like for us, we we added a feature that we're working on in Orbit. A little preview here of like being able to send DMs. You have to give us permission to everything in order to send a DM. I bet. I was like, why is this not just one like scope? Instead I have to have, I could do anything I want on your Twitter account, which, you know, we don't, we only send DMS and there's only code to send the DM. So it's not like we can accidentally do anything on your account, but it's, it is that scary OAuth screen of like you're allowing orbit to have access to all this stuff. so. Yeah. I think,
0: yeah, I I would love to do episodes about that. Just like look at an API and do like a breakdown of the DX. And so, yeah, that would be, that'd be fun. I think, yeah, there's probably a bunch of APIs too, that we're both using just for fun, like for fun and profit, right? Like on the side, (laughs) like YouTube API, Twitter API, Orbit API, (laughs) Stripe API. So yeah, it'd it'd be cool to go. Through all
1: that, All right. So. so I guess in building those APIs, you're going to have a whole lot of PRs in your team. And hopefully they're small, reviewable PRs like we talked about on build and learn.dev slash six, if you want to check out that episode. But today we're going to dive into that other side of the fence where you've submitted your PR and you're waiting for someone to review it. That person's going to pop into GitHub or GitLab or Bitbucket. And now you have this Little bit of science, a little bit of art of reviewing someone else's code and giving constructive feedback, making sure that you kind of match the the rest of the style of the code base, things like that, especially for newer developers. So, um, yeah, we can kind of dig in. We've got a link to a pretty thorough tip like list of tips from Thoughtbot, but that we can kind of review, but I think be great to kind of hear like what you first look for when you, you know, once you get that notification that it's time to review something.
0: Yeah. So first and foremost, something that I think is important is responding quickly, like trying to like actually look at if someone opens a PR, try to unblock them and respond to their PR because the longer that you wait, the longer that it's going to take them to like ship their thing. So yeah, jumping in quick and giving them some feedback or at least telling them like, Hey, I'm really swamped. This is going to take me 24 hours or something to get back to you. Yeah, so that's kind of just like a preface preface thing. But another thing that I tend to look for is any instructions in the description of the PR. Like, do they have pointers for what they're looking for? Do they have requests for reviewing specific files? And, you know, oftentimes the description will say something like, oh, a lot of this was auto-generated, but can you please look at file X to, you know, you know make sure that there's a really good thorough review of security on on this like section of whatever so yeah looking at the description and uh, yeah being timely in your reply I guess is like the first thing I would say
1: do you guys have like a how to test section of PRs like in your template
0: we do yeah so we it's actually not how to test it's how it was tested so Mm -hmm. we ask people yeah like to you know outline exactly how you tested it. And that could be, I wrote a bunch of automated tests, or if it's a change to like a docs page, it could be like, here are the screenshots of the changes that I made. And also here's a link to, you know, the staging server where the docs are or whatever. Right,
1: because along the lines of not blocking them, like some of our PRs require, like as a tester, like we know that the other person who wrote it has already gone through those steps, like you mentioned, but... I do like to like then run them on my machine, right, or run them on testing like a staging or integration server. But for some of those, you know, hopefully they're small reviewable PRs, but some of them you have to like do a little bit of world building or have like a script that creates all of the the scenario that that you need to test this thing in. And, and sometimes there's like a bug or something that's hard to replicate, and so relying on tests is sometimes all you can do, but You know, for us, we do like to, especially with integrations, we want to test them on another machine so that it's like, hey, like some environment variable didn't make it into the encrypted credentials or something like just about their machine or their setup is just not quite the same. With integrations, we end up using things like ngrok and relying on webhooks and stuff like that a lot too. So like making sure that it's like, hey, yeah, I caught a webhook, but it didn't hit the right path on my machine for some reason, or just like some sort of environmental kind of ruling out environmental differences. Mm-hmm. Uh, which for some companies, if you're running in like Docker or something, those may not even be we run pretty bare rails on you know Mac. So got it.
0: Yeah, I was gonna ask. So our our development environment is actually like external boxes that live inside of AWS. And okay. then also once we push a PR, it will spin up staging environments just with that PR so that you can link to it from the, from the nice. PR itself. And the nice thing about that is that the environment inside of AWS, when you're building and when you're in staging and when you're in production is all the same, right? right? Like it's going to be on the same boxes, the same tools, the same, like everything. So that is like, I don't know. It's, it's, I would say it's a nice experience, but it's also like super challenging. <laughs> There's a lot of yeah. like DevOpsy overhead stuff to get that set up on a team. Do use <laughs>
1: review apps on Heroku for that. So we get a little bit of that out of the box without having to have a whole DevOps team build that for us. So we do that when it's necessary. Some changes, like again, docs changes, we don't need to spin up a review app for that. We can trust mm-hmm. that like README updates and stuff like that, those are fine. We can review them for, accuracy and stuff like that. But yeah, I think that's a that's a pretty good process to get into.
0: So going going back to timeliness, I assume that your team is so globally distributed that sometimes your reviewer will be you know 12 hours difference in terms of time zones. Is that the case? Or are you mostly kind of like working with people that are closer to your time zone?
1: Yeah, this is something that's kind of interesting for us. We do tend to have like when I, my old team, it, I was the only person in the US. And so it would be this thing where like by the end of my day, I try to review any open PRs for Europe so that they're waking up to a reviewed PR that then they can, you know, either make changes or merge. And then on their end, you know, I, on my end, I'm trying to get mine, my code done so that when they also wake up, they have a PR for me that they can take a look at. And sometimes there might be this back and forth conversation around like, you know, maybe it's a draft PR with questions because it might be a newer area of the code base for me. And so I do have to kind of think about that. It really forces me to time box my work too. It's like, mm-hmm. if I don't get to the thing I'm hoping to today, then I'm not going to have the PR open and ready for review by the, the beginning of their day, which means now we're going to have a whole nother 24 hour cycle of that. Right? Um, is
0: there, is there like a, an hour or two where you have overlap and you can kind of like talk live and yeah. Yeah, we've got gotcha. that,
1: you know, in my morning, I have someone in, in Israel that I, we actually have a lot of overlap during the day, because she works really late at night. And so she kind of has a different setup of her day. And so we do get that. And like, we just restructured our team. So we do have more people and different, like, you know, I have more US folks on my team now. So, you know, that's going to change a little bit as well. So, you know, once we do that, it's nice to have those comments. I've noticed that, especially because it's a little bit async, someone might open a PR. And I guess this is on the more of the creating the PR side of it, but they'll preempt the review by going into the the file diff Mm -hmm. and they'll add their own comments. So Mm -hmm. like calling out like, hey, could you specifically look at this thing that I either had a struggle with or like, I think this is the best way to do this. You know, Mm -hmm. can you just like do a gut check? You know, if there's any sort of things that need to be specifically tested from a security or like webhook and like ingest type of thing, then they might call that out again, Mm -hmm. especially with integrations. It's like you have to do this world building again of, of having the development integration. So like, you know, maybe it's developer Twitter account connected to the developer app versus the staging app versus the production app. So there's just a lot of variables at play there.
0: Mm -hmm. So when you're, when you're looking at security stuff like in the back of your mind, do you have, or yeah, I guess like in the back of your mind, do you have certain things that you look for when it comes to security or just like generally thinking? Yeah.
1: So if it's general web application security things, you know, we trust that the team, you know, can look at those things. And if if it's not an area of expertise, we can tag in somebody else. If it's like something related to like SOC 2 or something like that, then it might be someone who's specifically like security engineer type of person that would look at that stuff. You know, that's not just at Orbit. That would be like at past companies where you have the luxury of having somebody who can specifically do that. And then you also hopefully have some of these like scanners and things too that are running on your on your PR and CI that are looking for common vulnerabilities and things like that mm-hmm. in the code base as well. Like strong params and things like that come to mind mm-hmm. for rails, you know, cores, stuff like that, that that'll pop up.
0: Yeah. Cross-site scripting. Vulnerab- like I'm trying to remember the name of it, but yeah, there's a bunch of tools where you can just say like, point this at my app and like try to run all the vulnerability <laughs> scanning things on yep. it. Yeah. Cool. Like
1: one, of, one of them was called
0: like Hound, I think. Hound. Interesting. Yeah. I think like looking the one, Big one that comes to mind is SQL injection attacks, which really, if people are not parameterizing or like not sanitizing user input before they're right. passing them down to SQL, then you kind of get in trouble. But yeah, I feel like the Rails strong params pattern has, you know, if you kind of like stick to the, the normal patterns, you're usually okay. But I have seen a couple of times where maybe it's like a search endpoint and you're writing a custom where clause that has a bunch of likes and whatever. If you're not passing like the right parameterization, then it's easier to get user input and pass that right down to SQL. Yeah. So, okay. Super cool.
1: What else we got here? I guess. What about the content of the code itself? So like, let's say now it's time to jump into the code. What sorts of things, you know, we've talked about this in past episodes, but like programming is so opinionated. So how do you approach this when you know, someone spent a lot of their time on mm. the code. And I think as much as we like to try to disconnect our ourselves from it, it's something that we've spent a lot of time on. And, and, you know, by the time it comes time to ask for review, hopefully it's quote unquote done. So how do you kind of approach those things that might be trade-offs or um, things that you might, that might stick out to you?
0: Yeah. I think going into every PR with an open mind and trying to come at it from a Like a perspective where you're learning about what the original author intended can be helpful. And then also, after you really understand what they were going for, then maybe start to ask questions, like ask leading questions instead of like criticizing, right? So, Mm -hmm. kind of like, oh, I see that you were doing it this way. That's really interesting. Did you think about this approach? Or, you know, was there a reason why, you know, you're, taking this taking this as an argument instead of instantiating it inside of the class or whatever. Like there's an opportunity to talk about design patterns. There's also opportunity to talk about like learning the code base itself as a, as a result of the PR. So yeah, I guess maybe to answer your question, I think coming at it from a perspective of like, what can I learn from this code that I'm about to read?
1: Definitely. Yeah, the... The asking questions is interesting to me because I, I do think it's better than like making demands or like saying like change this to this. Cause you don't necessarily, like you said, you don't know where why they had to make some of the choices that they made. The asking questions thing I find is the art piece because it's sometimes when I'm writing a question on a PR, I'm trying not to be pa- like patronizing, right? It's mm-hmm. like, how do we get to the topic of this? Like, sometimes there's a more direct way of saying things, but you do want to avoid like judgment or assumptions. And when I've reviewed like a lot of PRs in a row, it starts to feel a little bit weird. And this might just be in my head, but like, it's like, rather than me just like calling it out, it's like, why don't, what do you think about this? Or have you tried this and things like that? Because I'm not, in some ways you want to, you're not trying to lead them to the right answer. I guess it's like, it's not the goal. The goal is just like, to figure out like did they consider something else was there an issue with like you know is there a reason why this doesn't match the, the code that's over here that does the same thing or mm-hmm. you know those kinds of things and i would say like if that's the case like always ask for clarification like you can just ask a question you don't have to be like i need to get this review done maybe it's like yeah i'm gonna need some more info to to do this but how do you feel about that like in terms of like when you've written something are questions helpful or do they, do they feel like that sometimes to you?
0: So I think they are helpful in terms of like the ego part of receiving a code review, right? If someone is like, oh, this is wrong. You should change this. It definitely uh, chips away (laughs) at like your identity that is tied inextricably from the code that you just published on GitHub and asked for Mm -hmm. a kind and gentle review. And someone jumps in there with a bunch of hyperbole and never do this and why didn't you just do that and you know this is over complicated or whatever like those kinds of those kinds of comments can really like beat you down i will say that i have worked with several people who do their prs like that and they're they're like insanely direct very hyperbolic and like really really explicit and and i don't know very blunt about their yeah. feedback and it was extremely painful but I think I I also like got better at like building up a shield of like okay I'm publishing this it's fine like I've got to get <laughs> like torn up or whatever but like I know that at the end of the day like I I'm my hope is that that criticism is coming in and that I can receive it and become a better developer so like I always had to like try to take that perspective as the author and because I know that was so painful and also it required a lot of like building up this thick skin. I always try to like approach PRs that I am reviewing with that that own, like my own personal experience <laughs> and yeah. try to like be really empathetic and really humble and really like, okay, well let's be, let's use this as a teaching moment instead of like a just make sure the code is fine. Like you have an opportunity to make other developers on your team know and understand the things that you know and yeah. you can do that through the PR instead of just kind of like, and you can do it in like a tactful way instead of just being kind of like, yeah, attacking. It's unfortunate
1: them. that you had to go through that to then find the compassion, right? Like you would have probably had that compassion for your reviews anyway, but like that experience of having to build that shield Like, did that also cause you to second guess, like, that it's ready to be submitted or, like, I imagine, like, you're going to check, triple check everything when you're like, oh, my God, I don't know what negative feedback I'm going to get. Because to me, like, that sounds like an awful reviewer, even if it's coming from a good place, like, you know, maybe they just were rushed and they shouldn't have reviewed it, like, right before they left the office or something, but... That's, that's a rough experience, especially for newer developers who may not know that's like, this isn't about not to take it personally, but it is going to be personal. Like there's mm-hmm. no way to avoid
0: that. Yeah. Yeah. The, a couple of things came out of it. One is when I would publish a PR, I would read all of the code myself and review it myself for myself. <laughs> like, yeah, like I would say yeah, before you push the button that says, you know, submit PR or whatever, you can see the diff. Go through that diff and polish, take your last like chance to polish it up and anything that I started to build up this sense of like, okay, I think this is the area of code that I'm going to receive the most criticism about. And so then like, I would go back and maybe make a like clean it up a little bit. And when I didn't do that, I always got comments on those parts where I was like, okay, like I think maybe this area might, you know need some improvement.
1: It's like negative reinforcement though. Like Yes. Yeah. It was. It absolutely was. That's not very was. healthy. Like no. it, it probably made you a much better developer through fire, right? It's not not through. Yeah. Ooh, that's rough. Yeah. Um yeah, I I come from a background of not always having developers to review my code, and so I would have to do that anyway, right? I'm like I'm literally doing PRs to myself and then going and looking at the diff. <laughs> And like reviewing it like the next day. So like with fresh eyes. Mm-hmm. And that was like when I was the only developer at a company. You know, I, I wonder if that's even a service. It'd be amazing to like have like a contract code review. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're like, can you just review my PRs as an external, you know, person? But I always had to develop that. And because of that, I never really got a lot of those like those negative reviews. But because of that too, I never developed a really strong muscle for like what to look for in other people's code. And I've had to develop that, you know, at Orbit, we have plenty of developers to review each other's code. And I've learned a lot on both sides from reviewing other people's code. I've learned a lot of things where I'm like, I didn't know Ruby could do that. Didn't (laughs) know that Rails could do that. But then on the flip side, just seeing like what comments people do, you know, point out, you know, especially if someone knows the code base in a different area better and they're like, hey, we already have something like this over here. Mm-hmm. have you considered reusing this things like that so and i think you know some of the re- the tips from Thoughtbot when you're reviewing code were like communicate things that you feel strongly about and those that you don't so like maybe there's something I was like we really shouldn't merge this part as is mm-hmm. or like hey over here maybe we 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 should clean this up but maybe that's like in a future pr like let's not block this one and chip because it's not going to cause any downstream problems, but like we probably need to create a ticket for like coming back in and, you know, renaming a bunch of stuff or something like that.
0: Yeah, I think in the past, what I've done in that experience is like, if I if I see something that I don't think meets our quality bar for polish, it's almost there, then I will still leave comments about the stuff Mm -hmm. that is like insanely nitpicky. But then in like the overall comment for the entire PR review, I'll say something like left a few knit comments, but it's like, this is, you know, fine to, to move on. So yeah, I think that's pretty clear. Or yeah, like when, I guess like in GitHub, when you're reviewing, you can also like approve or comment. And so you could say like, oh, I left a few comments and then just comment. And that is kind of you implicitly saying that you don't approve (laughs) of like where it's at right now and that some things need to be addressed versus like. I left a few knit comments, but then you click the approve button. And so it's it's technically approved, but
1: right. And they can still push up some more commits and stuff after that. Right. Yeah. That's interesting. Like just you pointing that out. There is no technically, there's no decline button, right? It's a Mm -hmm. request changes or approve or comment, And you know, the comment one and the request changes are kind of the same at the end of the day, but one's a little bit gentler than the other one. Mm -hmm. Um, And I would say, I actually found, I'll put this in the link to, in the show notes, we found a, like, I've been having this problem of not knowing when someone commented on a PR or even to a review. And Mm -hmm. I finally figured out how to configure the GitHub settings. Shout out to Anthony at Orbit for, like, sharing this there. I tweeted about it a few weeks ago. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, I keep missing, like, I don't get an email when someone comments. Like, why am I not? Like, all my settings are set for that. And so now I'm getting notifications in Slack like directly to me when it's like someone mentions me in a PR or tags my team in a PR, things like that, which I found to be more useful because I was like blocking people without realizing it or I'd be like, hey, why has no one reviewed my PR? And I go look at it and there's a bunch of comments on it already. Mm -hmm. But Mm GitHub never told me about those things. And that's really important when you have like the request changes comment or approve. It's just nice to know that like, hey, it's ready to, to be merged or we need some changes there github yeah. has a pretty nice thing where it's like you can comment everything and then you get that like final say the like mm-hmm. it's either good to go looks good to me you know we've got all this language now around ship it and lgtm and all these things i think ultimately are you are you in an emoji and animated gif in your code reviews person or not <laughs> Definitely
0: emojis. I, not as much the animated GIFs, but yeah, I think it I'm trying to think back if we were super into it at a previous companies. I think at App Academy, we used animated GIFs a lot in PRs, but not at MyVR or Stripe. So yeah, yeah. like, but I, I do think they add a little bit of fun and flavor to the experience. So yeah, that's a good call.
1: Yeah. I'll um, use like the eyeball reactions on certain like comments and stuff to let them know that I'm looking at it or or reading yeah. it. If it's like not, and I don't even know if you get notifications for those, I will use the ship at Squirrel and the ship in the, in the final PR comment. If I, if I think it's ready to go.
0: Yeah. I would say that emojis, so emojis can also be used for a lot of good positive reinforcement, which I do think is another really important part of reviewing someone's PR is like going through and saying like, wow, this is super nicely organized, or I really like how you use this pattern. or. Like, yeah, like maybe they, not necessarily something clever, but something that might like do a performance optimization that was kind of like something that they went over and above to do. Then I'll drop like sunglasses face or like, oh, this is cool. Or even just like those little things that, that you're calling out that are that are good can help, I guess, yeah, they, they, they help soften the blow for any critical feedback that might come later. But also you're giving kudos where kudos are due for someone you know, doing great work. So that's a uh, yeah. I think that's also like important part of review. So at, at Orbit, do you have checklists? Like, do you kind of like have a team organized checklist? That's like okay. Make sure that you're looking for security vulnerabilities, and is it tested? And is there observability? And is there logging? And is there does it need legal review? Or yeah, um,
1: we do have a checklist in Notion. We have like a PR. Checklist, especially we have a feature that's coming out that like has a specific qa checklist that is in the pr template now so like, that's still more on the pr side because the person opening the pr needs to go through i guess both the reviewer and the pr before it gets merged all the checkboxes need to be checked just mm-hmm. just for sanity because some of them are more like regression type things that you know we hope to catch in tests but we don't There's just some strange things that could happen, but we do have a notion like for onboarding that people read through. I wouldn't say like we have explicit checklist that, you know, has to get checked off in every PR, especially if it's like, you know, again, a README may not affect security. So we're going to skip that section. Do you guys have something? We,
0: I think each team does it a little bit differently. Each team kind of like individually maintains their process and, their own code ownership. And yeah, I mean, we do use code owners to like say which files are owned by which teams. And so people can automatically get pulled in if there's changes to their stuff. Yeah, like I've definitely seen some teams where it's like, there's a really explicit checklist and it's you have to go through and make sure there's, that you think about security and then you think about tests and then you think about N plus one queries and then you think about caching and then you think about whatever, you know, like, yeah. And like another great one is migrations. I've been bit a million times. This is more in like Django land, but yeah, you're trying to roll out a my data migration. That's going to add a, maybe you're going to add a new column that needs an index or something. And like, you got to do all the different steps that in rails, it's less painful than it is in Django, but like sometimes in Django, you'd have to do like several PRs where they were coordinated, where like the first right. one does something. And then the second one does something else and you have to like deploy one and then immediately deploy the other one and yeah so i think we kind of built a pretty strong culture around reviewing data migrations and yeah i don't know i think it's 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 also tough to like make sure that you're hitting all of the right things that are required for a feature like you know do we have the right metrics in place to measure the success of this thing as it goes out yeah
1: yeah i think other than that checklist i'd say to kind of put a bow on this one like the big thing is to remember that the other person the the person on the other end of the review is human and like they're mm-hmm. going to mix their identity with the code a little bit. And so just keeping that in mind and, and having compassion and pa- compassionate code reviews is important. And with that, have you used any of the tools on like, I think one of the things that we've kind of talked about here is like to, for both the PR reviewer and the person authoring it, I've been seeing a lot more like tooling and processes for like small PRs that make it easier. And the one that comes to mind is graphite.dev. Have you seen this before?
0: I have not seen Graphite. We used a tool called, I think it was called Reviewable.
1: Mm.
0: Yeah, we used Reviewable,
1: but- The idea behind Graphite, and I think this is similar to like Fabricator at Facebook and some of these other tools is that, like we ran into this issue when we were building some of our integrations, we would usually build them as one PR they were the most insanely large PRs you've ever seen. If people just wouldn't want to review it because they're like, I don't like, unless you were on the integrations team, you didn't know how to review it. Mm -hmm. And what we've moved to right now is just small PRs, each PR being kind of like what you just said, that they're like coordinated. This is PR one, once that lands, we can then merge two and three. The problem with that is that you end up with dependencies on branches and Mm -hmm. PRs and so Graphi aims to solve that and it essentially has these like stacks of PRs that all end up rolling up into like one major change. I've been playing with it. I'm still not sure how I feel about it. It feels like something like your whole team kind of has to use if you're gonna really dedicate to it Um, or maybe you can use it for your own PRs but it has a really cool integration with GitHub where as each PR gets added and merged like there's a little running list that gets added to the GitHub PR of like this is one of four, this one's been merged, this one's been merged, and then it auto-rebases all of the upstream onto it. And this is where like doing all the Git, like Git does not translate well to audio at all. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when you start talking about merges and branches and and rebasing, but definitely check out graphite.dev if you have this issue. There are other tools that are, you know, available if you if you search for like merging and, and code review strategies. I'm still trying to find that that thing that's like lightweight on the team where you actually can have branches and PRs that are dependent on previous ones, but not block you as a developer from keeping, you know, development, you know, working on it. You know, doing it where you have to constantly rebase upstream or, you know, if the thing you need is not in the branch that you're in right now, then that, that becomes an issue. And so a little bit off topic for code reviews, but Graphite's own website claims that the biggest reason to do this is that it makes code review even easier because maybe the migration is in a PR the model and the controller are in their own PRs and then you have the business logic in its own and that way you can also start getting things into main faster feature flag things right you're starting to develop around feature flag development instead of like you know having that big launch day where you're afraid to see if everything's going to land properly
0: mhm mhm yeah i I'm trying to remember the features of reviewable that were killer features. I think many of the ones that we were using are now rolled into just like the default GitHub interface. Yeah. So yeah, I'm sure there's features new features that we, I haven't seen added, but yeah, tools can definitely help your flow. I think we also talked about having like an automated system for adding comments to the PR that like you kind of have a bot do a first pass of a review and make comments about things like style or hey you know at this company we put parentheses when we make our method calls or whatever like you can mm-hmm. kind of apply those
1: automatically but let the let the bot do the nitpicky stuff so you don't have yeah. to
0: <laughs> exactly yeah cool well let's wrap it up we hope you enjoyed this deep dive into how to review prs and doing code reviews Next time, we're going to start talking about some developer content creation and a lot of the workflows that we use for dev content creation.
1: As always, you can head over to buildandlearn.dev to check out all the links and resources in the show notes. That's all for this episode. We'll see you next time. Bye,
0: friends.